Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. And our special guest today is an All-American soccer player where she helped her university, LaSalle University, reach their first tournament championship and NCAA appearance. Currently, she is an anchor for the Philadelphia Union Games. In addition, she's also an analyst and reporter with ESPN covering both men and women sports across colleges. She hosts a radio show entitled Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. And on top of this, she coaches in youth soccer. So a warm, warm, warm welcome to our special guest today, Renee Washington. How are you, miss? I'm great. Thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> we try, we try. So yeah, um, we'll we'll get straight to the traditions. The traditions of Mind Talks is really reflecting back to your first memory. So what was your first living memory of a sport, either playing or watching? What can you remember? Um, definitely, I think playing. Um, my parents had me play every sport possible. My siblings and I. Um, had the opportunity to try different sports i come from a very big sports family so like at four or five years old i remember doing tennis softball soccer basketball swimming like we did everything um just to make sure that we were able to find what we enjoyed uh, versus just what our parents wanted us to do so yeah definitely like those classic three and four five-year-old type youth sports programs and was there any sport that stood out at that age or was it just you just played? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for me, I um, definitely come from a basketball family. So my siblings, my older sisters both played basketball. Uh, my parents played basketball. My dad actually played professionally overseas. So that was definitely a big influencer um, for basketball for me to start playing. And then for soccer, my sisters also played soccer. So I remember being at their games and watching and just wanting to play because I wanted to be like them. So those two sports, without a doubt, jumped out. Plus, I was better at them. I was terrible at, like, <laughs> softball. Oh, my God, I was so bad at softball. Um, swimming, I'm, I still am a decent swimmer. I'm by no means a great competing-type swimmer. But, yeah, it also came down to not only what I enjoyed, but ironically what I was better at. So <laughs> definitely uh, soccer and basketball, without a doubt. A massive shout out to your parents because really they put you into, you know, a variety of sports. Can you tell us the, the, the advantages of you just testing out those variety of sports and what it did for you? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that it brought me was um, understanding that I had a chance to try other sports. You know, I think sometimes in life we're so forced on one path that we don't get to experience other things. So it was my chance to see like, OK, this is what I do like, this is what I don't like. Um, I know a sport like tennis is maybe more just for fun, not something I would have done competitively. So I didn't have any regrets. It didn't leave me wondering. And then it helped me be more confident in knowing that this is a sport for me, uh, without a doubt, to know that this was a sport that I enjoyed more and that I was better at. Uh, so, yeah, it just kind of gave me that confidence stepping into soccer and basketball that these were the sports that I want to play. Not that my parents wanted me to play, although I had a lot of influence, but they were the sports that I wanted to play. And did you know you were good at those sports or did you have to be told you were good at those sports? <laughs> I actually was terrible when I first started. <laughs> um, the irony is it wasn't until many, many years, I want to say like college, until I realized uh, the truth. I always thought I was good at soccer when I first started and I thought I was like just naturally good. And then my parents finally broke it down to me that like, no, you were actually awful and you just stood there in the middle of the field <laughs> playing with the grass. 
But my memory, I remember all, this is what I always tell you, I only remember coming off the field, the parents would high five us as we came off the field and say, great job. So in my mind, I was doing really well because mm. they were all saying great job. But they were like, no, the truth is you were terrible. So it's <laughs> not something I was naturally good at. It was something I'd be, I was always athletic. I've always been athletic. Um, so that definitely played a big factor in it too. I was, I'm always, I've always been fast. I've always been athletic. Um, those, those skills I naturally had, but I did not just step on the field. And I was definitely not that kid that was like leading the pack, scoring goals. Uh, not the first year anyways. I was the kid that was staying there picking grass and dandelions. It's, um, <laughs> it's interesting because you've got basketball and soccer, football. Um, so on one side, you have one that's really focuses on the hands and, you know, hand technique. Others is on foot technique. And in contrast as well, you look at the fact that one is is really has a lot of contact in it and the other one, com, you know, in comparison doesn't have much contact in it. So can you tell us what was it about both sports individually that really got you, that was, was really attractive um, for you? Yeah, so I like the basketball and soccer to me are very, very similar for anybody that really understands sports. Um, a lot of the concepts like the movements and stuff are very similar. Of course, as you mentioned, ones with your mm. feet, ones with your hands. But I just like the up tempo uh, piece yeah. of both. You know, that's really why I didn't like softball. It was too much standing around for me, <laughs> like waiting. And I like that, like, I like to run as a Well, I still, well, not anymore. I'm not <laughs> So I liked that I could just fly up and down the court and jump and shoot and, and do all these different things. Um, and that allowed me to just focus on those areas I enjoyed. So, yeah, I think for me, it was the team camaraderie. That's also partly why I didn't like some sports like tennis. Like I liked being a part of a team. I liked having oranges and at, at halftime and snacks after the game and tournaments like AAU tournaments and stuff. I enjoyed that atmosphere, like just the fast paced game the competitiveness and like the fact that it was more, it was on me, but yeah. it was also on my teammates. Um, I also did run track, but that's the reason I didn't like track because although it's a team sport, it doesn't <laughs> feel much like a team sport, but you're on the track by yourself. Um, yeah. So I think for sure, for me, it was just some of the different aspects that aside from just being better at those sports, the different things like being a team sport, being so fast paced and okay. everything. So you mentioned when, when you started, you weren't, that great at those sports so what gave you the mindset and the mentality to 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 improve when some people would just give up yeah um so first soccer was always my better sport so i have no problem admitting that um i was recruited mm. to play basketball in college i did play aau basketball and everything but i was much better at soccer i played with a lot of players that to this day still play in the mls the nwsl on the uh, international level, you know, whatever it may be. So that was a sport that I got better at. But it, as you mentioned, it did not happen overnight. I actually used to practice with my older sisters. I used to play all the time. I used to play pickup. I used to, um, wherever and whenever I could play, I was playing soccer. And basketball was similar, but not like, I remember as a kid being more scared in basketball. Like my parents would mm -hmm. say, hey, do you want to jump in with your sisters? And because I, I for whatever reason, um, was not as confident in basketball i tended to shy away from those whereas in soccer i would play with anybody boys girls it didn't matter so i do remember it's ironic like thinking back i naturally was more comfortable and confident as a soccer player versus yeah. basketball player which helped me be a better soccer player because i never had to think twice about it like if anybody asked me i would jump in and play basketball i always had an excuse 
I was like, ah. my sisters were really good basketball. They were really good at both, but they played at a really high level in basketball. And I think as the smaller, younger sister, that intimidated me. Whereas for mm-hmm. soccer, it's not as much on height. So although I was three years younger than everybody else, I was still able to kind of keep up in a sense. So I don't know. It, it was it was an interesting dynamic of that, the mental yeah. side of things, that even as a kid, I already knew, like, this is my sport, you know? And so I just played all the time. I trained all the time. I have some early coaches. Um, my parents actually coached me, but some other coaches that were very influential in helping me get better. But I always just wanted to play. Like, it, it was mom, dad, I want to play as much as I can, whenever I can, wherever I could. You mentioned earlier about really enjoying the, the team aspect. So let's go back to your, the first team that, the first soccer team that you joined. Um, talk to us about the first few weeks and how it felt to be part of a team. And yeah, just talk to us a little bit about the team dynamics. Yeah, so I remember playing rec for all, my, for all sports. I started out at the rec level, um, which is yeah. more for fun which I think helped because I was able to play with some of my classmates and I have great memories of playing rec soccer, um, winning championships, getting like the little jerseys and going to the award ceremonies and stuff that we had. But it, it just kept me excited. And at the basic level, allowed me to be a kid and enjoy playing soccer. Um, when I got into travel, I definitely remember my early travel team. Um, the first year was a struggle. We were not as good. Um, I remember my dad was one of the coaches and there were other, it was all parent coaches, which is also something that's not as typical today. You see a lot more professional paid coaches versus volunteer parent coaches. Um, But I do remember it's like, I'm getting nostalgic almost, but I do vividly remember those early years of being, I was always like a skinny kid. I was always smaller. I was like, but I just love to play. And so I remember being kind of overlooked and being someone that in rec soccer struggled to keep up with the, the older, bigger kids and then slowly catching them and passing them. And then it was the same thing in travel and same thing in high school and same thing in college. Um, but yeah, I definitely have some, some vivid memories of just the challenges. But at the core of it was just enjoying yeah. being a kid playing soccer. At the end of the day, that's what it, was, that's what it came down to. Do you feel the pressure um, changed from being in an environment where it's more parent type of coaches to professionally paid coaches? Yeah, the game has changed. And I think it's, it's a good and a bad thing. You know, I definitely know many parent coaches over the years that possibly held back kids because of it, because they did mm. not challenge them because there was favoritism for their, their child or their child's friends. But I do unfortunately also see the other side of it, even to this day where there are a lot of professional coaches that are, charging thousands and thousands of dollars and you're paying them and they don't really care about getting your child better because at the end of the day, they're just collecting a check. So I think yeah. as with everything, there's, there's a balance, you know? And um, when I was growing up, my dad coached me. There was, there was another dad that coached with him, but we had a professional trainer, but parent coaches. So they would come out and run practices. They'd come to some games, but then the parents were the coaches. So, you know, I, I, that balance worked because we were still getting the training from coaches that were college coaches or had played at a high level, but also still had the care of a, of a, the parent coach. So I, you know, that's something that is probably my biggest frustration with youth sports to this day is that it's gotten away from what's most important, which is the kids. And it's become such a moneymaker for so many people and such a business that they don't care about not only getting the kids better, but even things like creating a, a, a positive environment. Like I told you, my memories went back to 
nothing to do with just like the game itself, but more the people around, you know, the parents that were high-fiving us. I loved getting the snacks after the game and at halftime and like just all those team atmosphere things that somehow we lost over the years. And it's now like corrupted in that sense and more focused on paying coaches and, and just hopping from team to team and whatever else. So that switch happened as I was in college. I started to really see it. To be honest, it's still fairly new, but involved being involved in coaching, I see it so much more. I'm a professional coach. I don't have kids. I'm paid to coach, you know, and it's the same thing, but the difference is I do care. Whereas a lot of coaches don't because of whatever reason. So I'm interested in um, your position. So what position or positions did you play in, in football and um, were there any other positions that you actually had your eye on, but, on, but you know, maybe your coaches told you, no, this is your preferred position? So I played every position, to be honest. Um, and I loved it. I didn't even have, you know, bat an eye at it. I played literally everywhere except <laughs> for goalie. Um, I was not a good goalie because it was too much standing for me. I would, no. Um, but I remember a lot of times growing up where coaches did try to play me in defense yeah. because I was faster and I was aggressive and everything. But my, my better positions were being in the attack. So it was a midfielder and a forward. Those are my two. And I honestly didn't have a preference one versus the other. I just wanted to be um, like in my mind, I was a creator, a creator. So I was a goal scorer. I got a lot of assists. I was involved in the attack on all the teams I've ever played on. So that was, those were definitely my better positions without a doubt. But I do have memories of coaches like, oh, I think you'll be an outside back or a sweeper back when we used to have sweeper stoppers um, and not just center backs. But um, that was, I was good at those positions, but I was not as great as I was in other positions. So yeah, up in the attack. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've had, we've had quite a, a few football Yes, and we've got friends that work in football soccer. And one thing that has been mentioned to both me and Nathan is, I don't know how it is in the US, but in the UK, there tends to be a stereotype for, for black athletes in terms of where <laughs> they play on the pitch. Is, is that the same in the US or does it tend to be a little bit different? I feel like it's worse wow. in the US. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is absolutely the case. So. You know, that's why I say I remember a lot of coaches that were like, I'm, you're fast. You're not as technical. Play defense. Um, but mm. that was not the case for me. I was very technical. I was a goal scorer. I could pass. I could shoot with, you know, different parts of my feet. But, like, I could do all of that. But I definitely remember dealing with that a lot in the politics of being a, a soccer player growing up because mm. of the fact that not only could I do all that, but I felt as though some coaches didn't want me to be the leading scorer. They had favorites and they wanted to be someone else um, that did not look like me to be the one that was like leading the team, especially once we started getting to the age of notoriety, like back then newspapers um, and, and that sort of coverage where I was the one that was like leading the team and in the, in the paper and in the articles getting interviewed and everything. Um, so unfortunately that is, again, I think one of the biggest things that hurt soccer is, there are so many coaches that try to push the narrative of white soccer players being the one that's leading the team. They don't want to have a Renee leading the team. You know, they want to have a Susie leading the team or whoever else. Um, so yeah, that is completely a worldwide issue. It's not just in the UK. It's not just in the USA. 
Unfortunately, I, it is a bigger issue at play behind. Stockton. So I want to explore that a little bit further. So how, how, how did you deal with that? So w- when you when you came to that, you know, realization that this is what was happening, I was almost being profiled. Did that make you more determined or did it create uh, a barrier? What, what, what did it do for you mentally? So it taught me about the world. Um, that's what I always tell people. Like I have a lot of coaches, teammates, um, even parents from over the years that I dealt with that I'm like, they didn't have my best Mm. interest at heart. They, I dealt with a lot of politics. I dealt with a lot of stressful things. It was not all easy. And honestly, I felt like at one point for as much as I accomplished, I felt like it still held me back. Like there was so much more I could have accomplished if I did not deal with all of the stress that I had to deal with that eventually led to me deciding to stop mm. playing altogether. So while it did in a sense possibly hold me back, I know that it also literally made me who I am today. Yep. You know, a big reason why I am the person that I am, a big reason why I stayed involved in youth coaching, uh, why as a reporter, I try to be more than just a reporter, but someone that's helping to inspire the next generation like you guys are doing, helping to inspire the next generation and tell these stories and share insight that I've been given that helps somebody else in the same situation because there's always going to be a Renee that's dealing with what I dealt with. But if I can help them be more encouraged through that, then it's worth it. You know? So I think that it hurt me, but it also helped me figure out my purpose in life to be the person I am today because I'm still a black girl in America. I'm still the same way. There's still politics. I mean, we're literally dealing with with it right now um, Mm. at, at the core of life and death, but that's a whole other conversation. So it really prepared me. And I remember having those conversations with my parents as a kid, not understanding why I was being, and now I know being profiled um, mm-hmm. and why I was dealing with what what's racism as a kid when I just liked playing soccer like everybody else. What do you mean? Like, I don't get the same opportunities. But my parents had to have that harsh conversation and, and tell me the harsh reality of what it means yeah. to be a minority, what it means to be a black a black person in general. So it just taught me so much that, I needed to learn because it just prepared me for life in general. With the profiling in the UK, um, the profiling profiling doesn't just exist in terms of playing, but it also exists in terms of coaching. So we tend to not have a lot of black coaches in the UK. How is that in the United States? Is it quite similar? Sadly, the exact same. Um, mm. Yeah, I and and full transparency, like I've been coaching since I well, I started in college doing like training, but I've been fully coaching like teams um, the last five or six years. And I I still deal with it. You know, I still feel like I have to always explain myself and prove myself, Um, even though I'm like I was a three time All-American. I played Division one soccer. I played professional soccer. I coached college soccer um, at the Division one level. Like, why do I still have to prove myself? I, I have accolades for days that I've received and honors and things on the national, international level, but I still have to prove myself, especially in coaching girls. Like if I was coaching boys, which it shouldn't be this case either, I could Mm -hmm. maybe understand it, but why do I have to prove myself as a coach at all, Uh, let alone coaching girls? I actually feel like boys, uh, on the boys' side, they actually appreciated me more. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like, unfortunately, there is the stigma because I think that in society, society tries to paint out what each role should look like, what a coach should look like, what the leading scorer should look like, or the best player is supposed to look like. 
And I have been fighting with that my entire life as a player and as a coach, unfortunately. And so it's exhausting, but it's it's just the way as as you guys both see in the UK as well. It's not just me yeah. that's dealing with this. Um, in fact, your comment is making me feel slightly <laughs> better, to be honest. Because it's not me. But that's the harsh reality of the world. Like society hasn't caught up. You know, society is still very behind, especially soccer. It is very it is very racist. Yeah. Very racist. Um, so unfortunately, I still see it on the coaching side where a counterpart that's a white man that doesn't have nearly as much success as I yep. had as a player, but maybe they signed up for coaching courses or they paid for this license and that license. They're now the expert yeah. and I'm not. When at the end of the day, I would like to think that my experiences as a player would lend itself to why I'm a good coach Absolutely. in itself. But <laughs> Going back to your, your playing days, um, I guess even growing up and growing up i used to watch a lot of uh, well the only women's football team i knew was really team usa so can you talk to us about the impacts that watching you know the the women's national team in the usa had on you and you know taking your career further yeah i mean i grew up watching like mia ham and christine lilly and even abby wambach in her early years um that i was as a true truly as a kid and looked up to them um it it was definitely exciting. It was definitely inspirational. I think now the women's national team is a much bigger inspiration in that you do have women that are all different types of backgrounds. You've got women that are open that are that are black, that are, you know, represent LGBTQ communities, that are all these different ages, all these different backgrounds. You know, I I do think it's become much yeah. more diverse. So I would think that even today's women's national teams compared to the one I grew up watching, there weren't a lot of there was Karina LeBlanc, who was, in, who was a, heavily in the international scene, but there weren't a lot of yeah. black players. Even then, as a kid that I grew up being able to watch and saying, I want to be like her. So um, for representation purposes, now there's so much more representation. But I do think that the women's national team transcends a lot for women's sports in general because they have consistently been a team that everybody can look up to. You know, there were people with Mia Hamm jerseys and Carly Lloyd jerseys and Alex Morgan jerseys and Crystal Dunn jerseys or mm. Megan Rapinoe. You know, there are many more players, regardless, or people, regardless if you are a soccer fan or not, that can look up to them. And so they are kind of trailblazing in that sense, whereas that was not always the case for women in general as athletes that you have someone to really look up to. You know, I can think about someone like Serena and Venus Williams. And um, again, I keep saying Mia Hamm, but think about how many female athletes young girls and, and just kids in general really had to look up to back when I was growing yeah. up in the nineties. So it's exciting to even continue to see the growth that they're making for female athletes as a whole and all athletes, not just girls. I think football slash soccer in the United States for women is probably been the catalyst of the growth of, of it in the UK. Cause when we were growing up, when me and Nathan were growing up, we, we never saw women's football soccer ever. They never ever showed it. Literally, maybe the FA Cup final might be on one of the smaller channels. Um, but there's been, obviously there's been a massive growth and then there's still a long way to go in terms of where the men's game is, but there's been a massive growth since, since probably back in the 90s. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think like, I remember growing up and going to some games in the area for what was the WPSL that shut down um, for the Women's Professional League in the United States. But it was mostly just watching the national team. You know, there weren't, it wasn't like turn on the TV and, and watch a game. Like now I feel like they're doing a much, much better job of that. 
which is also needed. But as you guys are saying, there's a long way to go without a doubt. I remember at university, both um, Ed, we went to the same university and what they used to do is year on year. And I remember we were, I think, second years and we were playing the third years and I was a striker. I was playing up front and um, I missed three one-on-one chances and that still haunts me to this day. In fact, it haunts <laughs> me to the day that I actually, that following season, I changed positions because I didn't believe that I could play in that position. So I guess my question to you is, is there any game that stands out where you really had a performance that you just cannot forget um, because it, it was just so synonymous with, I don't know, maybe missing two chances or three chances or is just any game in particular that stands out? So many. I still remember missing a penalty kick in, in State Cup when I was playing. I was We had to have been like U11 or U12 and I missed the PK. Um, I, I am such a hard <laughs> critic on myself. So mm. I can't even name just one. I mean, I literally have some going all the way back to uh, when I was playing youth soccer, definitely some in high school and college that I can think of off the top of my head where, you know, it, I messed up. I missed a shot. I missed, I had penalty kicks I missed, breakaways I've missed. Um, definitely just chances. Again, as a goal scorer, I think that's the hardest part is you do have, well, I felt the pressure that if my team did not win, if we did not score, a lot of it was on me because I was the one that was getting assistant goals and helping to lead our offense. So if we did not perform, if we did not win a game, I felt like part of it was my fault. First of all, I've always been a crazy yeah. competitive person. I had no problem telling people that I cried after every single loss all the way through my career, including <laughs> college. But if we college, we only lost like a few times. We weren't losing a lot. So whenever we did lose, I was a very emotional person. Um, but that was just the love and passion I had. I'm a competitor. I hate to lose, whether it's soccer or a board game. I don't want to ever lose. Um, <laughs> But I do also think that something I was actually ironically just having a conversation around, and it did teach me a lot about being able to like let go. You know, like mm. when you had those mistakes, I, again, I still can remember the games, but they don't haunt me near as, nearly as much yeah. as they used to. Um, but understand that you're human. There's going to be days where you can't score, where you miss that penalty kick, where you messed up, where maybe even you cause a goal on the other side for the other team. Um, but that's part of life. And you have to figure out how do I come back the next game, the next day, and learn from it and not let it snowball into something that's going to affect my who I am as a whole and affect my performance. Because it's the same thing as a reporter where I've had times where I've had mic issues, I've stumbled over words, I've had those those memory parts or whatever you want to call it, brain freezes, yeah. where it's like you freeze for a moment. And in that mm -hmm. moment, I'm like, holy crap, that was so long. But I look back and I'm like, <laughs> it really wasn't that bad. Or that stumble really wasn't that bad. Or that time my microphone wasn't working or my screen froze. It's not the end of the world. So it taught me a, a lot about just how to deal with adversity and how to like work through that and not let it um, identify or cripple me, but help me learn so that I could be even more proactive and try to avoid that happening again. But knowing that life will go on if, if I do mess up or have those moments that I look back and those cringy <clears throat> moments where it's like, uh, that should have been a goal or that should have been better or whatever it may be. I think that's what's the difference between elite and non-elite athletes in each sport. It's literally learning from their mistakes and not letting their mistakes affect their future in terms of what they do. You look at Ronaldo. Ronaldo sometimes in the game will miss so many chances. 
but he will never give up. He will never give up. And that's that's the big difference, really. Yeah, because it's understanding there's a challenge and a pressure to being the best. You know, when you think about all the best athletes across sports, when their team loses, if you're LeBron James, if you're Messi, if your team loses, they're not just putting it on the team. They're putting it on you. People call LeBron the choke, which I'm like, that's ridiculous. Because every time he's lost in the playoffs, they blame him. If Messi loses, they blame him, and now yeah, they're yeah. just going on with him. And at the end of the day, that's just how we are as a society, where we put the pressure on the person in football, for American football. It's the quarterback. You know, it's, it's always whoever is the leader of the team, the best player on the team. When things are going well, it's the team. When things are yeah. not going well, it's yeah. the person. Yeah. Um, so it is very tough because as, as a – that is a mentality that you do have to have, understanding that my team is going to go as I go. But in those times that I do have an off day or, um, you know, I'm just maybe not feeling it, I'm not feeling well, whatever it may be, it's okay to rely on your teammates. And if you guys don't win or you don't do well or whatever it may be, there will always be more games. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't feel that way in the moment. But that is something I think that separates people because we all make mistakes. We all have bad days. You all have days where you can't shoot yeah. at all or your first yeah. touch is bouncing all over the place. Um, so how do you bounce? How do you literally bounce back from that? How do you recover from that? You know, so that is definitely, in my opinion, a big factor that separates. We, we can't leave it there. So talk to us about your best game. What was the pinnacle of your soccer career? <laughs> Oh, man, just one again? <laughs> no, I think one that I always, always remember. Uh, my sophomore year, we mm. played at LaSalle. We were un- we had the longest un- um, shutout yeah. streak, excuse me, the longest shutout streak across all NCAA soccer, men's and women's, all levels. We were like 11 games mm. without giving up a goal. Oh, wow. We mm. were yeah. undefeated. We hadn't been beat. We hadn't been scored on. And we were playing the number 15 team in the country, which was also one of our conference rivals, Dayton. And we had what was called the Pack the Mac, where the school, like, promoted it, and they, like, sold T-shirts and everything. And, like, we had this large, large crowd. And we actually gave up our first goal. We were losing 1-0. First goal, (laughs) we gave up. So here's back to the point about being able to recover from those moments. That could have been it. You know, we weren't expected Mm. to win that game. We were the underdogs. We weren't even nationally ranked. They scored on us. Um, I want to say it was like the first half, if I remember correctly. Um, we were trailing down 1-0. I had a penalty kick for the ooh, penalty ooh. kick. And then I scored the game winner in overtime, um, which was like the best goal I've ever scored. I still don't even know to this day why <laughs> I shot it. But it was like a, off of like a goal kick. The ball was like bouncing. I like took a touch and launched one from like 35 yards out. And it was incredible. People stormed the field. My family was there. They were, everybody was like chanting and it was incredible. And I still have, fortunately, the video of it on YouTube that I can still relive that moment. But that was one of those moments for me that was like, okay, I, I am legit. You know, I am a good player, you know? And it was kind of, for, you know, that moment that that little girl that dealt with all the politics and everything yeah. like that um, got a chance to, to shine through and show that like, no matter who has counted me out or doubted me, you can't take away my talents because in the, the yeah. bigger moments, one of the biggest things that I actually always brought as a player that I still try to bring as a professional is in the biggest moments, I'm going to yeah. shine brighter. I'm going to step up to the task. Penalty kick, I'm going to take it. I'm going to score it. You know, like just having that confidence in myself that I'm not going to shy away from those challenges. I'm going to mm-hmm. shine brighter in those big moments. And a lot of my goals that I scored in major moments 
were in those pivotal moments where it was an overtime game or we were tied or whatever. Not those games where you're padding stats and already up 5-0. I never yeah. did well in those. Um, it was the games where there was something on the line. And that was what I always brought that I always try to bring. So that, without a doubt, was one of the best moments for me of just like, not only celebrating in that moment, my, like I said, my family was there, classmates, you know, everybody's there, um, my team, of course, but also a moment that was like, you know, I can really do whatever yeah. I put my mind to. You know, I really, I, no matter what's going on, no matter what's done my way, I can overcome it. So it was a very big confidence builder for me as a player and as a person, just to understand bigger picture, bigger perspective, despite all the ad- adversity and politics and whatever else, you know, if I'm if I'm consistently doing the right things, it's gonna come to light at the right time. I think everybody needs that a moment where you're doing something that you love and you're doing it well when you realize, wait a minute, I'm actually good. I'm actually really good. <laughs> exactly. And that was that moment. I mean, that goal ended up going across like a lot of different networks. It was like the national goal of the week. It was like all these different things. And I was like, me? Like I again, I still don't even know why I shot that shot. Um, mm-hmm. but I was like, I did that. Like, I can't believe that was me. The same girl that was picking grass in the middle of the soccer field uh, not too long ago, it seems like. It's the same one that's now doing these incredible things. So it was definitely, like, a major, major moment. What inspired you to become a coach? Um, I've always loved the game, and it was hard for me to stop playing. And um, so I was playing for professional soccer given the opportunity to play with sky blue out of new jersey which have now been renamed but um then i was also during that time given an opportunity to start coaching at lehigh university and be a uh an assistant coach for for their program so i was realizing that soccer wasn't it for me anymore playing because i had just felt like i had hit a wall my love for the game had changed you know once you get to the professional level you really are playing for the love of the game as we know the women are still fighting for equal pay you're not getting paid what you should. You're not getting the right opportunities, resources, training facilities, things like that. You're truly playing for the love of the game. And my love for the game had been tainted and changed due to a lot of circumstances. So I was given a chance to start coaching. And while I was coaching, I started um, at the college level. I also started actively and, and more actively, I should say, than I had before training at the youth level, too. And just getting back to the core of what made me love the game in the first place. Um, just the innocence of kids that just want to play soccer, just to play soccer for no other reason, you know, for no, no politics, no, no financial gain, nothing, just playing the play. That really drew me to want to continue to stay involved and help as many kids as I could have a great experience, you know, be the coach that I'm going to say hi to you. I'm going to say, how, how are you? You know, how's this, you know, I remember you had this big concert. How did that go or whatever, you know, like really connect with the kids and be someone that could be a role model because that is so needed at the youth level, especially with um, all that kids have to deal with in general, to now have a coach that actually cares. So um, for me, it was really just to give back, to stay connected with the game and help provide others the opportunities that I had to just have a good, ex- an even better experience, hopefully, than I had. I think my next question kind of goes to both your playing days and now your coaching and anchor days. So. How hard did you find it to balance your personal life with your professional life? I am still trying to figure out balance. Um, <laughs> I think the hardest thing is I've always been a workaholic, and I don't know why. And I'm like, how did how did this? How did, I don't I don't know. Um, 
So for me, I've always been someone that doesn't get complacent with just doing like one thing. You know, like I, I have never been um, one that just settles. I've never, you know, anytime I feel like I've accomplished one thing, I want to do something else. I want to learn more. I want to grow more. Um, so even back when I was in college, I ran track at, at LaSalle too. I had several internships. I was doing a lot of different things. And um, that just always carried with me. Like I, I get more excited about the balance of being able to do things. So now when I'm, if I'm not reporting and I'm coaching, it's allowed me to like tap into all these different interests and hobbies and, and, and have that balance. That to me is the balance. Um, but in general, I always tell people, you do have to find time for yourself. Self-care yeah. is so important. You know, your, your mental health is, is vital. So you do have to find times. I know around the holidays, especially, I try to make sure that I can step away and be away from my computer, social media, all the pressures of the outside world and just be present. You know, going for walks, listening to music, binge watching shows, whatever it may be. <laughs> Um, just to have a chance to kind of shut off because I think the hardest thing, especially about being an on-air personality is you're always on in that sense. You're always like doing a million different things. It's, it's cameras and lights and you kind of could get lost in that. So yeah. uh, find times where you can just be yourself where you can have like even conversations like this that are more laid back and, you know, not as much pressure in that sense that you can have that balance and, and definitely give yourself time to be off away vacations sleep in whatever it may be so you can protect your mental health as well describe your coaching style in three words <laughs> mm, um okay um confidence this is not yeah. a sentence no that's I fine yeah confidence creativity and i want to say Perfect. That's good. I like that. So um, those are those are things I really try to push with anybody that I ever work with in general, but definitely on the coaching side, like have that confidence in yourself and then the confidence to be creative. You know, don't settle for just being another soccer player. I always tell them, like, you shouldn't be blending in. Find ways to impact the game. Find ways to stand out. You know, whatever, whether it's being someone that's winning every 50-50 ball, that's making great passes, that's a great 1v1 defender, like find ways to be an impact and then also having a purpose. So everything you're doing as a player, um, your runs, your movements, your touch, everything is with a purpose so that you can just be a much more um, yeah. in the moment game um, in the player, excuse me, versus a player that has to like think all the time. So I think back to what made me like in those moments, like the game I just told you about is I don't really know why I did it. You know, it's just the mechanics and the habits that you build over time lends you to now just step into those moments and succeed. So have a purpose with your training. I guess I could use a different word besides purpose. Whatever, I'm going to stick with it. Um, with your training, <laughs> with your habits, with your mentality. Um, so you're constantly doing the right things so that you can set yourself up to be successful in those major moments. Okay. So this is the last question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Who are your favorite sports stars and why are they your favorite sports stars? Um... It's always evolving, but I think one, one person without a doubt is LeBron James. Um, mm -hmm. I really, really respect not only his game, but also the way that he has been able to really um, evolve as being more than a player and like taking on the challenge and the pressure of like, I'm going to be in the spotlight, but I'm not going to be afraid to speak up, you know, whether it's social injustice or uh, voting or basketball or 
equality. Like he openly speaks up on things. And that's how I, I try to be. Um, definitely Serena Williams. Um, I love her strength and not only in the physical sense, but being a woman, a black woman in a predominantly white sport, I can, I can really relate to that. Yeah. And the way that she's able to continue to, to break barriers and really change the game of tennis, but also beyond just tennis, changing the game for female athletes, specifically in these white spaces where, it's, where yeah. there's not a lot of us. Um, yeah. That in itself is something that always, always really resonates well with me. And she does it with grace. She does it in a way that's very sophisticated and still very poised, but she's getting her message across. She's, she's, she's changing perspectives. She's changing the next generation. Uh, so that definitely, she's definitely someone that I always look up to. And then I have a lot of others across basketball, soccer um, that I won't get into, but those two, without a doubt, when I think about like game changing athletes, they have changed mm-hmm. all sports as a whole. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of a lot of players. Like I said, Messi, I'm a big fan of Messi. I'm a big fan of Megan Rapinoe. I'm a big fan of um, different women's basketball players like uh, Diana Taurasi and, and Maya Moore. But I really look up to what those two have done for sports, for society, for minorities, and as a whole, just to make, I hate to say it as cheesy as it is, but make the world a better place. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, <laughs> time is done. And um, it's gone too fast. We have to bring you on again, you know. It's gone on too too quick. It's gone too quick. But um, where can people get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. This did fly yeah. by, my goodness. Um, I'm available on pretty much everything under Renee P. Washington. So it's Twitter at Renee P. Wash. And then Instagram, someone on Clubhouse at Renee P. Washington. I have a website that's needs updating but it's pretty kind of pretty <laughs> up to date um but you can keep up with me anywhere facebook twitter instagram uh to keep up with what i've got going on but thank you both so much for having me on this has been a a very fun conversation and you're making me think here especially making me think back to a lot of things that i <laughs> have not really had the, the chance to reflect on recently so I appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you. The fact that you are thinking really is just going to be so beneficial for those young listeners and, and pretty much anybody really, because as we are beginning to see um, all of the, all of these athletes that we've had on yourself, um, I think anyone in any walk of life can actually learn from, you know, your experiences. So it's definitely going to be beneficial to our listeners. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Again, you know what's coming. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, thank you and continue to share. Until next time, guys, stay safe, stay blessed and see you soon.